What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today's very long podcast um, is really something special. So some of you have written in saying you want to know about different traditions. We've also talked about the fact that some of these traditions are closed practices. So today we're going to be speaking to somebody who is an expert when it comes to Tainos, which are the native people of the Caribbean, right? Cuba, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Haiti. So while this is a closed practice, it doesn't mean you can't learn about what people do and just know about it and appreciate it. So if you are part of the Caribbean and this is a good step for you to start learning a little bit more. If you're not, then just sit back, enjoy this, you know, understand a little bit about somebody else's practice. But just so you know, this practice is closed. So the person that we're going to have speaking with us is somebody very dear to me. So before I go into her bio, just let you know that she's also my cousin. So here we go. And today we have none other than Tai Peli, who is a writer public speaker and a Borinquen Taino Tequina, which is a, a Taino indigenous teacher and historian of the Caribbean ancestral territory of the Taino peoples that includes Puerto Rico. Tai is an international relations and human rights officer of the United Confederation of Taino People and co-founder and co-president of the Caribbean Amerindian Development Organization. She is a local, national, and international human rights, environmental rights, women's treaties, and indigenous people's rights advocate. She has written articles, concluded studies, and participated in many conferences and events internationally discussing matters such as food sovereignty and security, impact of GMOs, impacts of climate change in small, uh, small islands, the value and integration of traditional knowledge, including traditional ancestral medicine and traditional ways of farming to ensure food security and health of land, air, soil, and that of all living things, including future generations and on working together with academics and traditional knowledge holders to mitigate and adapt to climate change, as well as promoting innovative ways to blend traditional agricultural practices with modern ways to recycle objects and water. You think that's it? No. Ty also studied the integration of traditional and agricultural methods and practices along with primary education in schools at indigenous communities and territories in the Northeastern Himalayas in India. She currently serves on the following boards of directors, the International Indian Treaty Council as Secretary-Treasurer, the Taino Kane Spiritual Circle, Regional Board Member for the NDN Collective, Honorary Advisor Board Member for Indigenous Peoples Day in Philadelphia, and Board Member for Project Arawak and Boconuco, both Indigenous organizations in Borican. She has been an authorized indigenous delegate and expert at the United Nations Bodies, Mechanisms, and U.S. Conference of the Parties, COPs, particularly on the issue of environmental violence, including the use of pesticides, toxic waste dumping, and its impact on the reproductive health and the lives of indigenous peoples, representing both the United Confederation of Taino People and the International Indian Treaty Council an indigenous international organization representing indigenous people from five regions of the world, North, Central, and South America, the Pacific, and the Caribbean. The International Indian, Indian Treaty Council works for the sovereignty and self-determination of indigenous peoples and the recognition and protection of indigenous rights, treaties, traditional cultures, and sacred lands. So she knows a couple of things, just a little bit. But this is important because um, 
you know, we want to bring you, people have asked for something different, right? Different types of ways of practice and different things. So when we bring you somebody, we're not just going to bring you somebody. We're going to bring you <laughs> the people that really can help. And, you know, last episode, we talked about several books. We talked about different traditions. We talked about how do you go to get information. So with this interview, what we want people to get is that if you're interested in Taino culture, if this is part of your culture, if this is something you want to learn more about, you've got somebody here that you can really learn a lot from and you can follow and we'll talk about that at the end. But if you're not, it just tells you there are people out there, right? You can find more information for your mythology, your culture, your roots. And this is specifically important because when it comes to Tainos, we have been told they're extinct. There are no Tainos, they don't exist. Meanwhile, they're all around you. So even if somebody says, you know what, I don't know if I can get information on this and that. Yes, you can. Nobody's extinct. And this is just something that we've been told. And with that, thank you for joining us, Ty. Welcome to Witch Space. And away we go. Maburita. <laughs> Welcome to you too. Because I think that this dialogue is really important and it's a great honor that, that you have invited me to this podcast. I think it is necessary that people understand their roots. And if you already have some interest and you're looking for the interconnectedness of all things, I think it's also important to understand and consider indigenous spirituality. And what does that mean, right? And um, the extension theory, uh, as I uh, stress in every space, it's something that was and continues to be a strategy from the states. And when I say states, I don't mean the United States. I mean the governments of the world, you know, those that are connected with the United Nations, etc. I, I will share with you that I had been doing some work on the backgrounds for, for the advocacy of indigenous peoples on the background when it came to, you know, translating work and, and, and modifying declarations or documents, etc. And then finally, you know, some years after, I had the opportunity to go and participate in, in Project Access. Uh, Project Access is a program that is a, is a capacity building training where they teach human rights defenders, particularly indigenous human rights defenders from all over the world, you know, we're a chosen few, and they prepare us on the protocols at the UN so that we can do our own advocacy, so that we can be our own voices. And when I went, there was 22 people, you know, 22 indigenous human rights advocates, and I was ready, you know, when they said introductions, you know, and we had the round table and they started right with the brother right next to me and they went, you know, kind of clock, uh, clockwise. And uh, so I was gonna be the last one, right? And I was gonna tell them, you know, they say that Taino are extinct. And although we had had other representatives go before, but in this particular program, I wanted to make sure that they knew our story. And to make a long story short, by the time it was my turn, I was the fourth person, or actually the fifth person to say, in our country, they say that we're extinct. And that is from a group of 22 human rights defenders. So now that taught me something. That made me realize that it's not just about us. You know, they think that because we're islanders and the international information is not promoted, they don't want you to be talking to other indigenous peoples. 
What if you find out that you have the same stories? La lucha es una. So I realized, oh my, it's not just us. This is a practice. If I make you invisible, then I don't have to look for other ways. I don't have to tend to particular needs. And I'll give you an example. Homogenization of our peoples is something that is very dangerous. When we start thinking the Cubans, the Puerto Ricans, the Colombians, the Equatorians, what we're having is, you know, they want people to feel all that pride and, and great because as a Boricua, I'm, I love my flag and I'm very pro Puerto Rico freedom. And needless to say, there's no connection with what we truly are. There's no connection to our real roots. So Boricua and Puerto Rican to me are two separate things. Because it's the governments want to make sure that everybody thinks of themselves as one thing, as the Cubans, as Boricua, as Dominicans, as Ecuadorians, right? But you know why that is? Because it makes their jobs very easy. They don't have to tend to the communities of the black community in Puerto Rico, for example. They don't have to tend to the needs of the communities that are very indigenous still up in the mountains. And all of those of us that are spread like seeds all over the diaspora and the Caribbean and the world, really. So if I convince you to just think of yourself as a Puerto Rican or as a Colombian, I'm also now contributing to the discrimination that those particular communities are enduring and also becoming blind to the needs that they may have that have nothing to do with the rest of the Colombians or Puerto Ricans. Or So we have to like be really careful with these type of strategies. And what have we learned about ourselves? Do we really know our stories? And I think that that is a question that we should pose to each and every one of us. Those are the questions that we need to ask. Am I what I am or am I that which somebody else decided I should be? You know, like the Hispanic and the Latino fall onto us. But really, is that what we are? It mirrors, um, I think, a lot of the work that people are doing also in the United States to get back to their original cultures because it's, it's two sides of the same coin. You either became white and mm-hmm. you were removed from your traditional Scandinavian or your traditional Irish mm-hmm. culture, or they were like, well, you're not white. So now mm-hmm. you're this other group and we're going to remove you from the roots that you had. And now you're Hispanic American or you're black American, because we can't give you the roots that we took that you had to leave behind to participate in America. It's a transformation and this go into the political aspect of it. Who is still leading the reins? So I think that what people are searching is for their own identity mm-hmm. and understanding semantics is another thing. For example, there's a lot of indigenous words that cannot really be accurately translated into English or Spanish or another language, because we have things that are concepts. For example, in our case, when we say aniki, we're saying mind, heart, and spirit, the heart symbolizing the body, right? But it's not one. So if you say, what's the word for heart? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's not one in particular, because it's that wholeness that makes us who we are. So a lot of indigenous peoples have this challenge you know, we have been at meetings where, where people, well, it, it would translate to this, but not really, you know, and you go into that and you don't get it. You have to understand the language, which brings me to another point. We lose indigenous people's languages 
every single week. Even though that we have the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, which proudly I will say had Taino people advocating during all those years to get it approved. The process took almost 30 years. And the same thing with the American Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples by the Organization of American States. And again, we had Taino Arawak people also advocating for our rights for that declaration. And all processes really uh, at the global level, the, the sustainable development goals, you know, which is really like a roadmap of what the world is going to be doing. So if you're not mentioned, guess what? Nothing is gonna happen with you, okay? Climate change, again, we as islanders, as Taino people, we suffered a lot now with the impacts of climate change. And again, it's not just the ones that are in the island because I can attest to you, I handled a line for over four months during and after Hurricane Maria. The desperation that I heard from the people that were calling, where we still were just people from the diaspora hoping to get connection. I can tell you, there was a lot of sleepless nights. So all of those things, that are impacting not just us, but like I said, languages, environment, all those elements need to be brought to light. And you need to understand what the indigenous peoples are fighting for and what are we advocating for? Because you know what? It first affects indigenous peoples, but it's coming later to affect everybody else. And that is why we need to have the engagement of other peoples and look at those common denominators that we have so that we can work together, understand each other better and respect more. Wow. Before <laughs> we get too deep, I do think that for our listeners, it would be valuable to just give a little bit of background um, on what drew you to become a scholar and an academic and to become a leader in helping spread understanding and information about Taino culture. Well, more than I don't want to be confused as an academic, because sadly to say, we are seeing some attributes that I would never want to have placed upon my person. Before I'm anything, I know exactly who I am as an indigenous person. And let's start with that. What is an indigenous person, right? Everybody thinks that you have to be, you know, if you're from this side of the world, you think that they need to be in the middle of the Amazon, with feathers, with paint on our faces, speaking something else and catching with spears and, and bows and arrows. Yeah, we have some relatives that are still, thank God, living that way, but they're also suffering genocide. Genocide has not stopped. It's happening right now as we speak and the world is just going about and everybody's so happy and everybody thinks everything is fine and everybody thinks that they're so wonderful with their fellow human beings. In the meantime, thousands and thousands of people are getting killed just because they're indigenous or because of greed, right? Which is the case that we're experiencing in many areas in Central and South America. We're experiencing, we have been experiencing that in Africa for a very long time. Same thing with Asia. I'm telling you, it's happening all over the globe. So we're not an excluded peoples. So what is indigenous? Uh, the UN says that there's not one official definition for what indigenous is. But listen to the most accepted description 
An indigenous person is a person that comes from a peoples that had their own customs and traditions before a colonizer got there. Guess what? Our people were there before anybody else got there. So it, it's not about the stereotypical way that defines how indigenous, or it doesn't define whether you choose to live in an apartment building or a boil, right? Which is like that hut, you know, with a with a uh, palm fronds and, and whatnot. It, that is not what makes you indigenous. Here we go with Aniki. What is it that you have here? What is it that you have here? And how do you carry yourself? And 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 what have you learned? And I think that re-indigenizing means going to those values that are constant. Just as we understand change, there are values that are a constant. I'm not saying that to indigenize, I'm going to stop using the computer, the internet, uh, a cell phone, a car, or that I have to go back to, to the Caribbean and instead of having a regular house as we understand them now, that I'm going to build a boil. When we have climate change hitting and beating our islands so furiously. But how about those values, the respect to mother earth, the honoring of our ancestors, the gratitude for what Mother Earth gives us. And we have, unfortunately, greed has blinded a lot of people that are destroying the same things that we need to survive. Thinking that a dollar today is going to mean much when in reality, once you don't have the water and you don't have air to breathe and you don't have soil that is healthy and you just have GMO seeds, what are you gonna do? So I think it's, it's, it's a time to connect and understand your own indigeneity. And again, this thing of mixtures, you're not pure and this and that, that is another element that is not, it is not an indigenous way. What constitutes a relationship is something totally different. So again, I bring to you, and these are just seeds for you to think about and your audience to think about. Many of us here in the United States have heard about the one drop rule. If somebody had one drop of black, they were black. Well, guess what? It was business because now I can, I can have more slaves. However, in order for you to be Indian or considered Indian, they started using these fragmentations that really it's the quantum system. Math is ever perfect. You keep on dividing and dividing and dividing. What do you think it's gonna happen? Eventually, they're gonna say, you are no longer an Indian because you, you only have this portion. You see, it was okay for the black person that they denominated as black to have one drop. But now they've instituted with indigenous peoples a quantum, a blood quantum, that you know, eventually, you're not gonna have any Indians according to that system. So when, and, and that has been promoted, even with, with indigenous communities. And I know that there are some people that, you know, are adopted as an indigenous practice. And in our case, as Taino peoples, it was the ceremony of Guaitiao. But I have to say that other peoples that have truly fallen for this system, and you hear people speaking about I'm a full blood and those are the mixed blood and this and that and whatever. And again, that is not an indigenous mentality. That has been part of the plastering that has been applied to our minds, to our consciences. And we need to break away from those things. We need to take the chisel and break that apart. 
because we need to understand our own indigeneity and it's not based on what a Eurocentric mentality or an oppressive mentality decides. We are a peoples. You hear me saying peoples and at times I say people. I want you to know as teachers that when we speak as uh, we're referring to indigenous nations, pueblos indígenas, that S on peoples is referring to pueblos, pueblos indígenas. And we have to fight for that S because it separates us with a distinct group of peoples with customs and traditions. Some states, again, going to the governments of the world, do not like it because you see, now you're breaking away from that homogenization that I told you they have been working on for so long. So, you know, there were three Taino there. There were three indigenous people. But when I'm speaking about the nation or them as a distinct people, it's peoples. So it's not a mistake or it's not a uh, mispronunciation. It took a long time. As a matter of fact, in 2014 or 15, I can't remember the, the, the date now, we had the World Conference on Indigenous Peoples and some of the flyers did not have that S. So it was added, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> What made you want to go from knowing what you know to wanting to get it out to people, to really be able yeah, to teach and it's, advocate? It's, uh, and, and I know that that was an uh, initial question. Yeah. But I <laughs> people understood the, the term indigenous because, again, there's more of us in urban areas than in communities or reservations. In my case, I had an event, and I've told this story many times in, and in many places. I, I grew up with my grandparents and my bisabuela, my great-grandmother, which in our case, we still call them abuelas or mama. And I had asked Abuelita Ophelia one day, we have all these other cousins that are very fair-skinned, and there's a mocking that happened as a bad habit within our own family. And, and so, you know, here I come, all stereotypical, the long straight hair, you know, the very dark skin, etc. And one day I, I asked Abuelita Felia, why am I brown? And she took me from the store, up the steps to the kitchen and into the bathroom and she closed the door. And then she uh, extended her arm like that, her fist. And she says, because you are like me. But it was almost as if there's something wrong with being like this. It was a difference. And there was the exalting of our own abuelo as so white. I look at pictures now and he wasn't that white, right? And it was, <laughs> look at the picture that I have for Father's Day. You know, put feathers on his head and you know what you have. And again, he was the only one that was fair skinned from his siblings. Right? Everybody else was, guess what? Uh, needless to say, there was a lot of, of pride and that whiteness. And so when I'm in seventh grade and I was 11, I had in, in our town, Cabo Rojo, we had a lot of very, very white people. Then you had a bunch of Indios and very little black families, very few, far in between. I remember three as I, as, as I was growing up. And so the teacher is talking about how all the Tainos, all the Indians died this is history class. This is the class that I obviously, <laughs> look at me now, it's, it's, it's a big deal for me. And she's talking about how all the Indians were killed and they were extinct. I have great news. Imagine, this is my favorite class and now I have some news for the teacher. In that same conversation and she's like sharing the story, almost like a synopsis, I would say, and she mentions the French. And then she says, 
and the French had to go back to their friends and uh, they got ill, whatever. Hey, I'm a Pelissier because of my great grandma from my father's side and she came from France. So in my 11 year old mind, I'm thinking I have the biggest news for the teacher. She's saying that all the Indians died and guess what? I have to tell her. So I'm dying and finally she allows me to speak. And as I understand it now, this woman was very racist, you know, regardless of this, taking out this incident, I, I realized she was very, very racist. And, and I said, I have, I have some wonderful news. Not all Indian were killed because I come from an Indian family and, and we look like this and my abuelita Hova and my abuelita Ophelia. And then I said, oh, and there were French that stayed here because from my dad's side, we have the French. And my abuelita also stayed here, came to, to Puerto Rico and stayed here and did this. I was all excited. And she said, no, todos los indios murieron. All Indian died. And the French had to go back to their friends. And I, and I will say, I'll say it nicer, because they got the runs. So I, in, at that moment, I'm standing there, and I tell you, I had the flashes of the faces. My abuelita Jova, my abuelita Ophelia, their kids, their children's children. And on that side, this is the look. And then I would think of the, wait a second. No, I mean, you look at one of us and you will, you know that we're familiar. And it was a big shock. Now to my, listen to this, to my friends, that was not a problem. They joked about, you know, for a few weeks, you know, on what happened to the French. But they already called me India. That was my nickname. They called me India or Taina or China, right? Which is like China, it's it, when people have slanted eyes. So those were the nicknames. So that, at that time, it really marked my life. And at age 17, I already had too many questions. Why are there so many of us walking around? You know, people see us, they don't have a problem with nicking us, Indio or India, Taino, Taina, China, Chino. So I embarked on my best journey, the journey of self-discovery. I wanted to know why they said this. Why are they making us invisible? Why is it that they can use any, any name to address us, but the second you claim it, there's a big problem. So back then there was no internet or anything like that. So I would go into books. And for some time, I have to tell you, even though I was reaffirming the indigenous survival in the Caribbean, I was still going by a lot of books that were written by the colonizer. I was still going by their numbers in my small little world. And thank God for the force of spirit. Because when you learn to be exactly who you are, there's no going back. And I'll tell you, when I came out of the army, right, I, I had never been questioned, you know, when in Puerto Rico, you don't, this thing of race is, is not something that people are speaking about openly. There is racism and colorism in Puerto Rico, even if they try to deny it, don't buy it. Um, there is. But um, you didn't have these conversations. They, 
este blanco, este, que the, the race factor was not part of our daily lives in that respect. And so when I go to the army, you know, uh, it's different, you know, when you go through all kinds of things. And because I knew that they wouldn't know what Taino was, I would put Puerto Rican Indian to make it easy for them. I would mark other and put Puerto Rican Indian. When I came out of the army, I did the same when I went to work at a civilian job, right? We had to fill out some forms and I was already working there. And my supervisor comes to me all upset with another paper and you know how they, you know, and they're flapping. And she says, you made a mistake. And I'm looking and I see my name, my social is correct, my date of birth, everything it's fine. And I said, well, where's the mistake? And she goes to the race block and she says, there, you're not that, you're Hispanic. And my lack of knowledge made me Hispanic from that day on. Do you know what the Hispanic and Latino definition does to indigenous peoples? It kills us. You can have somebody coming from Central and South America or any other country that has indigenous peoples. And the second, particularly with the, with the Latino community, and I, I prefer Latino and I can even tell you why. That, not that I like either, but I prefer that one. The second they get here. Now Doña Maria that came from, that is Aymara from Bolivia, all of a sudden became Hispanic. Guess, guess what's going to happen? She's going to be Hispanic for the rest of whatever time she spends here. You just killed an Indian. That is another form of paper genocide. And we play that game. We fall into it. I invite your listeners to check on YouTube uh, a video that's, you find it like this, when brown people think they're white. And I want you to see the dynamics of what the term Hispanic or Latino does to indigenous peoples. Well, I always say that the first identity theft happened with us as Taino peoples. I am telling you, it continues to be identity theft when you fall into the Hispanic and Latino brackets. Because there's a point in which you no longer, you don't want to make a mistake. And why I'm urging you to look at that video is because you will see the confusion of people. You know, and it was something that it was a, a, an experiment that was done for the last census, like the 2010 census. And they went around asking people, did you fill out the census? What did you mark? And they would say, um, Hispanic. And well, Hispanic is not a race. You know, are you white? Are you black? Are you American Indian? Or, and people didn't know. And you, you could see people that were very clearly indigenous not knowing what to answer. Why? Because we don't like making mistakes, right? We don't want to be wrong. So we are filling out these things and giving these answers based on the fact that that is what somebody else has decided to call us now. And in order for us to comply with the things that are happening here in the United States, we go by that, not realizing that we are shutting down eliminating the numbers of indigenous peoples in the world. Another thing that I notice they do in schools, um, when they ask, uh, especially if you're filling out like financial aid forms and whatnot, because mm -hmm. the kids come to you with all these things and they know that they are indigenous, but here's the problem for, for uh, the schools to give out money or whatever, mm -hmm. you have to be from one of the nations that they 
know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. know about. And you have to have been raised in a place, again, that has been, quote unquote, approved um, by the state so that they can claim that they're indigenous. And now that you're saying that, that made me think of, it's just another way to tell them, no, you're not. What you're saying, mm-hmm. and you know you are, mm-hmm. you're not, because we haven't approved of the mm-hmm. way you were raised, right? It doesn't fit into the box that the government has approved for indigenous people. So since you don't fit in that box, you don't get to claim that. Um, and that's something I hadn't really thought about until you started talking about well, it. Well, so that's what you're speaking about. You're speaking really about the right to self-determination. Let's speak about that, okay? Because it's really important. The, the right to self-determination is a fundamental, basic human right. Okay, when we say self-determination, includes identification. And that is, like I said, a basic, fundamental human right. You know, you find it all over international law speaking about that. What the United States has done, and many other uh, countries as well, is they have decided who is and who is not. Hence, violating the right of self-determination, which is that you and only you can determine what it is that you identify as. So for example, in 2007, when finally the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples was approved at the General Assembly at the UN, there were 11 abstentions and four simple no's. And the no's were the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Think about that. Think about the indigenous peoples that you know are in those places. But they said no. United States, for example, wanted to qualify it. And when you use the term qualify it, you, what you're saying is, I will go for it, but only for these people. And, and the United States um, was willing right, or, or considering the, the declaration if they allowed them to qualify it so that it would be just for federally recognized tribes. And of course, that's not the way things go at the UN. You know, when you're going to adopt a document after the, the many years of discussion and it's finally there and it's the final document, you need to either adopt it or not adopt it or you decide not to vote, but you're not gonna change anything and you're not going to say, well, only for these people, right? It has to be adopted in its entirety. And it wasn't until December of 2010 that uh, Barack Obama finally, uh, as an executive order, adopted the UN Declaration. Sadly to say, at that time, there was about 565, at that time, around 565 federally recognized tribes. But what most people that are not familiar with the indigenous world didn't know was that there was more than 450 that were not and that are not. So they continue to try to qualify the declaration. Now, it is up to us as indigenous peoples to uphold our rights. They're not, the states are not going to fight for our rights. 
They're going to continue doing, they're going to continue with, with um, these other forms of aggression, greed and aggression that, that impact our lives. But the right of self-determination and identification, it's something that we need to teach about so that we make it be respected. Because again, these things will happen. And what I, you know, I, I've had uh, uh, other people's and I, and I want to expand on, on, on the scenario that you painted. They, they want to apply those things for particular tribes. Thank God new donors and, and foundations are now considering non-federally recognized tribes on this, even within the, the government systems. You know, when people go apply, I remember one time my daughter went to, I don't know what, to ask for some services. And when she said, she, you know, she identified as, as Native American Taino. And the person asked, is that a federally recognized tribe, right? So listen to the dynamics of this. Now I'm saying, not only are they violating the right, but most people didn't know their rights. If you're federally recognized, if I decide that you're indigenous, you can mark it as indigenous. See again? If not, what are they gonna put her ass? Again, Latino or Hispanic? More Indians out of the books. And when you look at the type of system that we have, these numbers are looked at, right? And then they're presented to the world. And what are you seeing? Less and less indigenous peoples. What we have tried to do now is to make sure that people identify correctly in the censuses. So we have done now several things to, to help people change that. If somebody tells you that, uh, no, it cannot be that because it's, it's not on the system, then I don't know what you're gonna do, but that's what I am. Either you leave it blank and eliminate that part for me, or you make it right. But you're not going to put me down under this thing. I understand that, that when it comes to scholarships, you know, our people need the help. And you know what? If they're using it for that, I don't have a problem with it. And it may look like I'm, I'm, I'm being ambiguous here, but you, no, you're not gonna deny me more of the things that I really qualify for because you designed a system that first decided to kill a lot of my people. Now you're dealing with the descendants of the survivors and you still want to do this to me. And again, we go back to what we're seeing recently, right? The, the, the kill the Indian, save the, the man. And now we, with three residential schools, we have over a thousand children that were killed. And we know that that is just three institutions and they happen to be in Canada. We haven't even started with the United States. But you see that it's the way things are. Um, truth will come back, right? The power of the people will come back. And, and the other thing is, if you are not, again, in the Caribbean, for example, people think that all Native American from North America are living in reservations and they all have casinos and they all are doing great and they don't pay taxes for, for anything. Only less than 30% of the Native American from North America lives in reservations. 70% lives in urban areas like you and I, right? They're not going to be walking around with feathers and this and that during times where there's no ceremony, right? So if they go to work, they're going to have the suit or they're going to have the jeans or they're going to have their uniform. But 
again, you know, there's this mentality that reservation conditions are, are wonderful, and right? Not everybody has the blessing, and we have to see a casino as a blessing because sometimes in these barren areas, it's the only way to make some income. But when I tell you that there are reservations in the United States that are under conditions that look worse than the Haiti earthquake, you don't want to think that because this is the United States, but places that have cardboard as a wall, places that have no running water, no electricity, that is part of the reality. So we need to get away from what somebody else decides to, to address us as, and we are the ones that need to exert our right to self-determination and identification without apologies. As one elder said many years ago, the same way they wrote us out of history, we will write ourselves back in. So I have a question about spirituality and mm -hmm. Tainos. Did you find the spirituality at home is, you know, the, the Taino spirituality? How did that evolve for you? Is that something that, I don't want to say you practice, but did it ever conflict with anything else that you were raised in? Because a lot of people are raised uh, one way and then they discover something else or there's traits of it in their family, but it doesn't really come out. And then they have mm -hmm. to kind of search for it. I don't know if the, I don't know if I'm making myself clear. Yes, yeah. uh, absolutely. Okay. Um, as you know, Abuelito believed more in philosophy and the ways of nature. I, so I consider it that it was a blessing that did, that we didn't grow up with organized religion, because um, those teachings. Again, he's not announcing. I'm teaching you this. You know, and he was speaking. And nights we would gather at El Batey, and everybody like sat all the negrones sat there, and we would be like looking to the stars, and Abuelo will be telling stories, and people will be sharing and whatever. But when Grandpa was done, like he would just get up, and it wasn't like everybody go to your house. It was like you just knew. So there were some things that were still happening in our family that it was the way of life. And it's not until I, I go into more digging and, and, and really researching, right? And, and for example, I was a lone voice in the desert for many years before the internet until I ended up realizing that there were other people like myself that were doing these in other spaces, right? And that allowed me to, to, to see a lot more and to dig in more and, and internet to me has been a blessing in the sense that I've been able to research papers and documents that I was not, that, that were not available to me and then do comparative studies and all that. But when it comes to what we learned at the house, I remember my mom was more connected, but at that time I, I had a resistance to what my, whatever my mother did, right? So I, our dynamics were not healthy at that time when I'm developing all, all of this. And you know, Abuelito and Abuela were the ones that were doing most of the racing. Our, our relationship changed eventually and, and I was blessed to end up healing that. And we ended up having a beautiful relationship until the day she passed away. But that, those were not the times. Yet I would see my mother doing moon ceremonies. I remember that she would take, my mother had a very special connection with stones. She had her cord, she had stones. She could tell you a story for each stone that she had. And uh, I remember once a month, 
during full moons, my mother would take her stones and wash them. If we had a chance to go to, to the beach to wash them with, with ocean water, she would do that. And then at night, she, I mean, she would bring them and she had them all wrapped in un pañito, it's a cloth. And then at night, she would expose them, right? Go outside and expose them, lay them there in el pañito. And she would then sit and also receive all that energy. And she used to say to me, I was like, oh, what are you doing? Mis baños de luna, you know? My moon baths is, is what she called. And she was releasing and she was receiving that energy. And I remember that she would be here and she would, she would have her stones next to her. And then, and she did that every single month. To me, mom was just doing, I, I, I fell into the trap of um, intelligent, you know, and I'm going into the business world and an intellectual, that's why, you see? See the thing with the, the academic and fell into that trap that I think all of us, you know, when, when we've come from very humble beginnings, you know, and, and, and we're the ones that are going out there and studying and working and doing things and being visible because I've been an advocate my entire life. It, it just does something to you, right? It almost disconnects. I remember searching at one time because there was this thing about not being Catholic. We're not Catholic. And I have many stories that also had to do with demonizing uh, when I spoke so proudly, Abuelito speaks about the laws of the universe and the, and the laws of mother nature. And I was demonized in school. So I wanted to see, I have this great interest on world religions, particularly those that have impacted indigenous peoples. And I wanted to learn and see what that was. And I was going through that process of learning, but I, again, I inquire a lot. I ask questions. And even as a young girl, as a young woman, I started asking questions that the people in the church didn't like. And if something doesn't make sense to me, I investigate. I want to get it clear in my head. And you end up going into biblical archaeology because of your own inquiring mind. And then you learn all kinds of things. So I, I have an interest because I like to see what other religions uh, do but I am not religious. I practice my indigenous spirituality uh, because unfortunately I had to, I, I know my gifts, those things, we come from a family of healers, as you know, and, and I know my gifts, but I wanted to be so intellectual in those ways that I was being very inclined to fall into the trap and fell into the trap, I have to say, that um, science had the answers. And it wasn't until later in college that, that uh, we were studying behaviorism. I, mean, I, I first was uh, majoring in clinical psychology with a minor in, in banking and management. But during uh, studying behaviorism, the doctor that was teaching us said, we don't care about what the whys, we don't care about what's happening in the minds. We just want to correct the behavior. Right? So if they bring you a child that happens to walk by a table and kicks it every single time, our job and your job in, in, in the field is to make sure that that child can walk by a table without kicking it. We're not going to ask what's happening in his mind and whatever. And you see, that helped me understand that there were other things. Because to me, a lot of what happens here and our self-talk and whatever 
is what makes us act. So needless to say, I think that that in, 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 in my case was an awakening that I couldn't be like that mm -hmm. because there were other things that maybe we did not know how to explain them. And there were many conversations that Abuelito also said, you cannot go to school and talk about these things because they're gonna think this, 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 and that. If you have questions, you come and ask me. So it, it took me some time to, to really embrace the all. I tried to, to, to do the Christian thing. I do believe uh, at this time that, that um, Jesus was a great master, the way our abuelo used to see him, a great master that came to do some teachings. But I don't see him as God. I think that the, the conception that some people have of God is definitely not what I, I have. So I, I believe in a great force. Uh, but the biggest manifestations that we have on this great force right now is our air, right? Can you make air? It's our water, you know, it's our soil. See, it's those things that really connect us to something even bigger. And from the indigenous point of view, you hear about earthing, that's been an indigenous practice. Why do you think that people stomp and dance and do all these things? Oh, you hear organic. That was a traditional ways of, of farming. See all these things that are, that are interconnected, but now we have just made them so sophisticated and, and it's really simple. It doesn't have to be this complex thing of, of punishments and this, this and that. It is your connection spiritually, physically, that really, and, and, and the love and the goodwill that you have for others. To me, it, that is what manifests, and that is what really has the power. The union of good thoughts, the union of, of forces, the symbolisms that we may use. So I, I had to, like I, like I said, being in college was what really woke me up to understand there are a lot of other things that we don't understand and we try to explain them in one way, but we're not. So I started like thinking more about those things that I had been growing up with. And the more I studied, the more I realized that Abuelito had it. Abuelito had also taught himself to read. He had read many, many books, ancient books and theories and whatever. So it was not just his, his own traditional knowledge based on his experience. So, you know, he, he just had this and I understood that we were blessed to have had that type of growing up. The outside world, in our case, for our family, you know, like a lot had to, to the next generation, most of our family, you know, had to go to New York. And, and so the disconnection from the land, from our ways, right? You have that yearning of going back to the island, but there was a disconnect and you lose all these stories and you lose all these things, right? And I think that when we take the time to speak with our elders, even when they have Alzheimer's, you know why? Because their long-term memory works, so you can get the stories. It's really important for us to kind of center ourselves and understand more the people that we come from and embrace those. And it's not based on, on whether you are one third or whatever, because I mean, to me, that is like the most ridiculous thing. 
to think of yourself as a fraction, uh, can you respond? Can you respond um, what fraction you are now since you're a composition of all the people that came before you? And you have proved because you have your DNA. And it's just that science only understands from five, they, they say up to 10%, I don't even think they get there, right? And they call the rest of your DNA junk DNA, but it's just, this is, this is true, look it up. And they don't know that, right? They don't know. So we don't know it all. I think that there's a lot of wisdom in, in our family stories, regaining, reclaiming our origin, what really made us the people that we are. Because you know what? Even if, if Theo David um, was in New York, guess what? He still had some of that, you know, and that's still walking all over you. And, and you say that you saw me and all of a sudden you remembered and felt my mother, right? You sensed my mother. And, and that is something that, that we have as a gift, you know? And, and that's because they're within us, you know? It's that connection is never gonna break, just like your connection to all of your ancestors. So when people are talking about mix, I want to make sure that it is clear that it's not about the nine, the many components of all the people that have come before you. But what I'm saying is, you cannot be saying or stressing, when the case of the Tainos in the New York area, for example, the people that want to connect, right? Well, the Puerto Rican is the mix of the Spaniard, the Indian, and the African. That is a made up thing, right? If you look at your DNA, you're gonna see, I mean, now that people are doing DNAs left and right, which is, uh, again, uh, that's subjective. I, don't, I wouldn't buy a lot of those things. You see that you are a lot more than that. You know, a lot of people thought, you know, the, the Spanish, the, the Indian, and the, the, the African. But in reality, are you aware of the mixtures of the people that were in that peninsula over, well, about 800 years? of more presence in what you understand now as Spain and, and Portugal on that, on that peninsula? And how about before? You had all kinds of other indigenous peoples that also came there. So you see, it's, it has presented Spain as if it was a unique type of race when they themselves were mixed peoples, as is, is what? Most of humanity. Mm -hmm. Because in order for something to happen, some people needed to get together. Yeah. Right? And yet we're just looking at the most recent fraction as if you are just your parents and your abuelitos, you know? And God forbid the rest. We're not like that. We're not like that. And the extended family is something that we value tremendously. We need to look at those values. We need to, to connect and spiritually, you know, when we start understanding, when people ask me, what, what is the Taino spirituality about? I make it simple. Respect to Mother Nature, to peoples, to everything. Everything that encompasses respect. Gratitude. Honor your ancestors and honor the great spirit. That great force that moves everything in the multiverse. To me, it's a simple, you know, and that is the way to connect. 
what we do, whether we light up, you know, um, tabonuco or tabaco or the symbolisms that we may have. Oh, my mother, you know, with the 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 sibas, you know, the the uh, rocks and the water. We all have our particular ways, but we are connecting to that force. And I think that if we base our understanding in the reality that we're experiencing in this plane of existence, we can do a lot of wonderful things as members of this thing called humanity. I think what I love the most about what you said that I hope that people listening will take away from is being raised this way, being raised with espiritismo, with the, with the earth and the respect. Yes, for me, I've said it on the podcast before, it was really hard because people would say, mm-hmm. so you worship the devil and then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess I'm Catholic now. I'm just going to hide in this. I'm just going to mm-hmm. tell people that and hope that nobody ever asks me to pray because I don't know any prayers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, I'll just pretend since I am Hispanic mm-hmm. um, that this is what I am. But I think what I hope this does for people is to see that, you know, we look at, especially when we're talking about spirituality, that there are certain boxes still, right? Mm-hmm. I had mentioned on the podcast that I was raised a certain way, and then I found Wicca. Mm-hmm. And notice how it has to be the colonizer's uh, religion to overtake, right? Instead of saying, like you said, it's the reclaiming, mm-hmm. right? It's not about uh, decolonizing, it's about re-indigenizing. Instead of me saying, right. wait, this seems familiar, let me look deeper into mine. I did it, mm-hmm. right? I said, mm-hmm. oh, this looks familiar. I guess I must be Wiccan. This is what is accepted. So mm-hmm. this is what I have to study. And it's taken me many years to go, okay, I've, I know that. And that's awesome to know somebody else's perspective on things. But wait a minute. What was going on in my own home? Like, I didn't mm-hmm. need to go here because I had it here all along. And I think, like you said, a lot of people are doing that, going back and saying, wait a minute, this is great for some people, but there's something else, something that I already had, or Mm -hmm. maybe people didn't even realize they had it, but if they talk to their grandparents, if they, like you said, you have the internet, you can start to like reconnect and go, wait a minute, when I was a little kid, this happened. Like I remember one time before I first went to Puerto Rico, um, I would have these dreams and it would be abuelito in the bed. Mm-hmm. And how he would say, shh. We also come from a long line of seers. Like a lot of people right, see exactly. that. Exactly. And a lot of, a lot of <laughs> answer mediums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And things that you were afraid of when you were a kid. Because what is this? And what's funny was I had never seen anybody so pale really in my family. And you're right. Abuelito wasn't that pale, but he had the white hair. And I think mm-hmm. that's what added to it that he went gray so early that I remember before I called him abuelito, before I even saw a picture, I would tell my mother of the white man mm-hmm. and would come visit. And she's like, what white man? Who's visiting you? And my father put it together and went, wait a minute. He's got white hair. And he called him and he said, you haven't brought my granddaughter, so I have to come see her. Just little things like that that you kind of don't really talk about because it's not part of an accepted or known thing or practice or something. So you really don't talk about it, but there's this beauty of thinking that now, thankful to all the resources, every single person can read about everybody else's culture and also do more digging into their own before they accept somebody else's. Why accept somebody else's? If you can find things that ring true to you, right? Um, Because it's all about being you, you know, it's all about that self-care and saying, you know what, this is what I need for me. I need to really study this and do this and, 
and celebrate this part of me that I think is so wonderful that, you know, you've encapsulated, you've said it so well. And so I think people are really going to connect with that. I am. Um, let me tell you something. And it's so right. I mean, and again, uh, I think our entire family, uh, as you mentioned, has many gifts, you know, whether it's healing, seeing, whatever, and perhaps even understanding a little bit more than we know we understand. I don't know if, I, if that makes sense, but yeah, I know what I, I know what I meant. Um, <laughs> But I, I will tell you something. Obviously, I was already digging into our culture. Like I said, I started at 17, you know, digging in and, and, and I'm 58 years old now. But I also thought that had my mom, because my mother ended up being very pleased with Santeria, right? And I think that she tried to to look at, at different areas. She, she even, you know, she tried the, the, the Catholic thing, but that wasn't hers, you know, she tried the Christian. And, um, and eventually, because of all the gifts, my mother was, was somebody that, had, that was gifted in many ways. She could see, she could, you know, she could heal, she could do all kinds of things. And eventually she found Santeria. I've always thought that had I dug earlier into our indigenous spirituality, that's exactly what my mother was looking for because she was already doing the things with the, you know, like the things that she had learned con, con, con abuelo, you know, this, this thing that she had with the stones, which I found fascinating because just like you had that dream, you know, with the man in La Cama uh, with, the, with the white hair and it, and it was abuelito, the same thing, happened to my mom. She went to the stone. She would have these things and she would act on these feelings that she had. Little did she know that among the, the practices, right, of, of spiritual people in our culture, they would do the stones and the water, right? And that we would have the ceremonies. And as a healer, I can see her also connecting with the moon to get that energy as she was explaining. Right? So I think that it was the closest thing. I remember this time she invited me to go, you know, like the next time you come to the island, I want you to see that it's nothing better. I was like, my, I'm passing no judgment. I know that you're happy, you know, and, and whatever. No, but you know, like people think that Santeria is this and that, and I want you to go and see for yourself. And, uh, and I did, but there were so many elements of our own indigeneity in it. The use of the tobacco. You know, that, that was not brought from Spain. That was not brought from Africa. That is indigenous. When it, you, you connect the tobacco to your spiritual practice, right? Or you have the tabonuco, or, 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 or you have the tobacco, which is like really the, 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 among the utmost um, sacred. Not just for ceremony, and I clarify this, because some people uh, in the first, in the first of, wanting to connect with their own roots, I, I do warn, there are some people that pretend to be one thing that they're not, or pretend to be teachers that are not. So I, I urge everyone to really um, identify their sources and to never surrender power to another human being. That is not what it is to be an indigenous person. You have your, your right, your choices. And I think that that is like really important to keep in mind. But as far as, as 
our own spirituality. I also think that the fact that, um, excuse the baby, that the fact that um, at times people do not know their own ways, they connect with something that seems familiar. And remember, cellular memory, you're a collection of the ancestors. So the ancestors will also guide you. I've had a lot of people that said, you know, I was raised in New York and my family comes uh, from, from whatever island, you know, and, and um, you know, and I know that we're Indios and, and, you know, and remember this and that. And then when I came and I saw power, my heart was just like going and I felt you know, compelled to, to go and, and I would be there and I would feel at home, right? And, and you see, that's a story that we hear over and over, but really they don't understand that it's your spirit, your aniki really taking you back, right? Trying to present you to, to, to where you need to go, to where you're going to find that balance, that coming home and, and, and that acceptance. And when I speak about acceptance, I also need to mention something really important. Um, the, the, the LGBTQ plus community was also part of our culture. And I don't want any person to feel as though because they're lesbian or gay or trans or, or whatever denomination they use for themselves, that they have to be reject or they will be rejected and if somebody rejects you that means that is not the space that you need to be in because historically our people did not have any form of discrimination against somebody that belonged to this community that is not as a matter of fact to to some cultures they're almost like a, a gift to the community for example, uh, those nations that uh, use the term two-spirit, they really see that this person has a power that can understand the feminine and the masculine. And there are other um, uh, nations, indigenous nations, that have many genders. So we have to um, break that mold as well and, and be inclusive. And the other portion is, let's not forget that African peoples that were brought to the Americas, what we understand now is the Americas and the Caribbean, were people that were indigenous. Indigenous is not just us with our feather and our paints and our dances and our maracas. There's indigenous peoples all over the world. So that survival that happened with um, the African peoples and the indigenous peoples really everywhere needs to also be embraced. So do not fall for the thing of, well, you're Boricua, but mira, this part of you is African and no, you don't have that much indigenous. Well, actually, if I really wanted to like really be me without apologies, I will tell you about all these percentages that you so speak about and actually, um, it, even it, with your numbers, were your methods, uh, I would still be an indigenous person. A lot of people are now trying to separate blacks from indigenous and create that friction. And let me tell you, there has been a big bond created from the second colonizers started bringing these peoples for them to be slaved. 
they, the indigenous peoples in the Caribbean serve as rescuers. Right? That's why we ended up with the term Cimarron or, or you know, there's a, an entire tribe that now is called the Maroons and they're like indigenous from uh, uh, the Taino peoples and the union of the blacks as they were rescued. And then they spread to Suriname and et cetera. And there's uh, some in, in Jamaica. So I want to make sure that the audience also understands that that is something that at this time, the system is trying to utilize to separate, oh no, you're too black to be Indian. You're a, a black person that doesn't accept their blackness. And you know, that could not be further from the truth. There's a lot of indigenous peoples that survive because of these type mixtures. And it does not make them any less indigenous than the first human being that might have come forth, you know, from, from the earth or whatever it was that brought us here. So I think it's important that uh, people are open to the ways that we are impacted, right? The information that we get and that makes us think one way, but when you really stop and think, you realize that is another set of methodology to like really change your ways of thinking and to continue the separation, the division and the elimination of indigenous peoples in these lands and the world, because that's what they're trying to do. Amazing. Before we wrap up, please tell us, where can people stalk you? Where can, <laughs> where can people find you? Um, you talked about you, you've had classes as well. So where can people look to find more information? Well, um, to me, um, social media is a, a great tool, right? Some people use it for things that may not be uh, fruitful, but to me, it is a great way uh, to connect. Um, and so they can go and, and, and look me up on, on Facebook, Taipelli, T-A-I, and my last name, P-E-L-L-I. And I have a second one with my full last name, which is P-E-L-L-I-C-I-E-R, Taipelsir and Taipeli. And on Fridays, and I will, I will start, um, I will probably uh, do a session soon um, on just like the basic understanding of what Taino peoples are, because I think that the basics is something that needs to be shown every so often, because not everybody, obviously Facebook limits us now. So I do these sessions. Um, I started last year and I have a group uh, online. Now that group uh, meets every week at seven on Fridays, uh, unless, um, you know, there's, there's something that, that uh, I have to change or whatever, because I'm one person. But uh, I want to do another basic introduction of what Taino peoples are. And I think that perhaps that would be a great way for your audience to, to connect. The way I do my Zooms is those people that are interested in participating either, let's say this, this new uh, introduction that I will do uh, or eventually join my weekly uh, classes can do so by um, inboxing me in those, um, you know, I'm interested in, in the webinars or the introduction to Taino peoples. And, and that way I will do it. I, they need to give me their name and their email, okay? And, and how did they hear about me? Because that way I know, right? 
So, but I think I, I because of, of this interest, I think it's really important that um, people get to see the basics of who we are, and then that way they can understand what has happened. Because I teach not just about the history, but obviously as, 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 as an international human rights advocate, I also want people to know how does that relate to our present? Mm -hmm. And what things are we doing, okay? To maintain and be proud of who we are without apologies, Okay, they already, everybody knows we exist. This thing of invisibility is, is um, I'm, I'm not gonna buy it anymore. I'm not going to try to convince anybody that I am here because I am. So I think our connection, our identification and understanding what our rights are is a benefit that our ancestors didn't have. But now we have all kinds of instru international instruments that are there, are they violated? Yes, they are, right? But how many of us really understand what our rights are as indigenous peoples, right? How many people know that there's also an American declaration? And, and when I say American, I'm not saying United States, I'm saying American, the Organization of American States, right? There's a lot for us to learn and exercise those things at the very local levels. For example, right now, uh, there's a campaign to try to block the many efforts of indigenous peoples against uh, uh, exalting Christopher Columbus. So it is becoming now a thing of uh, some Italians versus the indigenous, and it should not be that way, right? Uh, again, lack of knowledge on the history of what Christopher Columbus did to our peoples you know, and what he initiated, because there's not that knowledge, you have men and women, some men and women, exalting this figure, when if you say, would you be exalting a pedophile, a, 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 a rapist, you know, a person that initiates human trafficking, they would say, of course not. Yet, they celebrate Christopher Columbus. You know, a figure that initiated genocide on this side of the world. And a lot of abuses too, including his own people when they um, threatened that they would tell. So all those things are, are things that are impacting us now. And, and for our Taino people, I have to say, you have a voice, you have rights, you know? And when they are exalting these figures, and when they're trying to hammer that, remember that it started with your own ancestors. And remember the, 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 the things that our women had to be subjected to, to survive. And still, and still, we're here. And the knowledge and the customs and the traditions were there. You know, they use all kinds of names to kind of like, separators, anything. They can cause anything, but don't call them Indio. Call them Jibaro, call them this, call them Campesino, right? But don't call them Indio. But, you know, when they go and look for actors for indigenous movies, you know what? They love our Taino people. And they're saying, they're trying to separate you. Um, and this is something that I, I need to stress. There were these giant scissors 
that came across, particularly for Caribbean people. And it's the story of mi abuela era india, mi abuelo era indio. Well, what does that make you? What does that make you? When I have had the blessing of sharing with other indigenous communities and they're talking about their 16th grandfather and they are as connected to that 16th grandfather as they are to the, to the, the one that is just there, you know, parents, parents. And yet with us, the system came. And I think that that's a subject for a different podcast. But, <laughs> but I, I urge people to really explore that, you know, because as a grandmother, I cannot see the separation between my grandchildren and myself, you know, and if I had the blessing of, of being a great grandma, I would not feel separated from that child. I would just see it as an extension because we had the blessing of having our viejos in our lives. So when you disconnect, when you start thinking that you're a quarter this and a quarter that and a, a fifth this, and you know, you're really almost like shunning away your own relatives because you're way more than that. And with that, thank you so much, my incredible prima hermana. Thank you so much for this. People, if you have questions, please reach out to her. If, if, you, if you're not sure, reach out to us and we'll get her to you. This has been so illuminating. I cannot thank you enough. Well, you're welcome. And um, if anybody has any questions, they can inbox me, like I said, right? I don't uh, share the, the email as easy because you can imagine that I get a, a lot of things <laughs> and I don't want to miss out on anybody, okay? Uh, but they can inbox me and that is a great way to see me. And, and again, I'm not apologetic. If you join my pages, know that I will speak about different subjects not just Taino, but uh, other uh, types of advocacy, including political, and my posts are in English and Spanish, not necessarily translation of each, but I try to post for uh, both audiences. Okay, so, awesome. Thank you so much, and Seneco um, Kakona, abundant blessings to you and to your audience. This was an absolutely amazing interview, and I'm so happy that we were able to get Ty Pelly to come speak to us and to really have the space for her to discuss all of the intricacies that go into not just Taino spirituality, but the reconstruction of a spirituality that has been affected by globalization and colonization. Yes, and you know, it, please let us know what you think of this. If you wanna hear more, I'm sure we can get her to come on. Um, she's also offered me to get in touch with Abehike, um, who is a spiritual advisor. So if that's something that people are interested in, let us know. We can see if we can get one to come and speak with us so that you can learn more about this closed practice, but one that I think everybody can benefit from learning a little bit about. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Sean McShane for our intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. <laughs> <laughs>